Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Stuart Anderson here with just a short introduction before we get on with the podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley and Steve Anderson. As Steve interviews Dr. McKinley about his new book, the principles inside the book, as well as does a short wrap-up at the end of the Mentor of the Month that will provide you and your dental team with some action items moving forward. So there's some great uh, things that you can do after you listen to this podcast that can be applied to your practice to help build your office culture. So stay tuned and uh, hopefully you enjoy the podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Very grateful for him, thankful uh, he is a member of the group, member of this great organization, and we're thankful that he would share his best with us. That's how this group grows and becomes better is uh, each of us share our very best with each other as we grow and lift. So thanks to uh, Ray, thanks to Steve, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Mentor of the Month. Thanks. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. I'm Steve Anderson, and I'm delighted to have Dr. Ray McKinley with us today. Dr. McKinley has built a thriving practice in Shelby Township, Michigan. And what makes Dr. McKinley unique, not only in the uh, amazing practice that he's built over the years, but he has been very, very involved in his community Uh, in several different ways. One, serving on the excellence in education panel for his local school district, also as a delegate to the White House Conference on Education, all with a focus on integrating character development and ethics into schools. He's developed a course that he's taught for years in his local schools on character and ethics, And at a point, he was then encouraged by all the people that he has influenced over the years to put a lot of his work in the form of a book that has just been published entitled Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, which is the topic of our conversation today. So his work as a successful practitioner and educator Uh, and all the lessons that all of us can learn from that experience is what we'll talk about today. So Dr. McKinley, welcome. Oh, great. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's awesome to be a part of your group. Uh, It is not often uh, that I meet a dentist who is also an educator. And uh, I know you may not consider yourself to be an educator, but you have spent your more than your fair share of time in the classroom Maybe you could start by sharing with us what led you to that and what your experience has been in education. Well, I think what what led to it initially was my frustration that the young people coming out of schools today weren't prepared to really help us in the workplace to the degree that I felt they needed to be. And that's, I've seen that take a downturn over the years. I've seen an absence of critically thinking in young people And so that's been a real issue for me. Uh, I think when uh, one day I was at the school and they were talking about some fundraising projects that the business community could get involved in. And of course we all do that, right? We all go to golf outings. And of course that's what was the conversation. Let's do a golf outing and make some money. And I said, you know, that's great. Let's do that. However, there's something else that the business people in this room can provide for the educational process that you as an administration, a school is not tapping into. Of course, 
They asked the next question. Well, what could that be? Right. And I went on and explained to them, you know, what we've seen in an absence in the educational process is an absence of character, an absence of critically thinking, an absence of uh, self-defining a person. And uh, we instead, we've seen entitlement and expectations that the youth have of us as business people that really is not a reality to what we expect out of the workforce that comes into our, our arena. So he, the superintendent of school particularly was, was uh, very interested in that and wanted to hear more. So he said, in two weeks, let's get together for breakfast and we'll talk about it some more. And I said, great. And I said, I'll bring something together. So in the next two weeks, I pounded out a portfolio, what I saw to be a student's portfolio. And this is, I created this and made this a mock portfolio that would be the end in mind for what I want the student to walk away from. So in there, there was like 50, 60 pages of different things that I wanted the student to grab a hold of, a lot of it being created by the student. So I kind of pounded out a lot of stuff to give some examples. They were really excited about it. What was, what was interesting about it, Steve? They just didn't take it hook, line, and sinker. They said, uh, we'd like to come in and watch you operate in your office one day. Really? And I also let it out of the bag that we had a staff meeting every Thursday. Huh. And, uh, and I invited, they wanted to come to a staff meeting. So they did, three of them, the, the superintendent of schools, the principal and the assistant principal all came to the staff meeting. And we had a great staff meeting and it was what I called the, our character meeting. And we looked at different character qualities that we wanted to bring to the workplace. They were so impressed with, not me necessarily, but they were impressed in the response that my staff had to the material and how significant the material had been for them and how it shifted their way of thinking. It caused them to raise their kids differently. It caused them to behave differently in the office. It caused them to handle patients differently. So they were really intrigued by that. So we set up a pilot program for one semester, uh, every, day of the mo every day of the week, 80 days. It was so successful in that pilot program that we now extended it to a full year. And then it became an honors program. So it evolved very quickly to a, it was considered one of the tougher classes at the school. And um, the administration had to encourage people to take it because kids wanted to take the easy way. And they said, no, you need to take Dr. McKinley's class. It's what you need. It's what you need for going to college. And uh, so we had some really quality students in there. And the uh, counselors and the principal didn't allow the kids to slough off the class because it was too difficult in their senior year when they thought they could coast. So that was a good thing to have that kind of support. And uh, the feedback I've gotten from the students that have taken the class is this is the best class they've ever taken in all four years of in high school and college and professional school. It, you know, it was it was critical for their foundation to be the kind of person they wanted to be. So from that standpoint, I said, wow, this, this material really has some gravitas. Uh, and I, I, I felt I needed to put it in a lot of the mentors I had working with me, because I had a mentor for every student. I had usually 25 or 30 students in my class and I had a mentor for every student. 
the mentor met with a student every Friday. I met with the students in a classroom Monday through Thursday, taught them the material. Then their quiz on Friday, I didn't call it a quiz, but it was really their evaluation on Friday, was with their mentors where the, I worked with the mentors a half hour before class, gave them a worksheet that they should work through with the students. And the students had to talk about what they learned that week and how they were going to apply it to their life. And the mentor was there to listen and augment some of the things they were saying by their own personal experiences. And I found that the mentors were more excited about the class than the students. The <laughs> students couldn't, couldn't take the class the second year, really, because they were going to college. But the mentors kept coming back year after year after year. I had some mentors who did 15 years of mentoring with these students and, and loved every minute of it. So it was a very affirming experience for me that I was on the right track. And uh, it's been, it's one of my greatest joys. It's something I volunteered for. They tried to pay me one time. They said, Dr. McKinley, we'd like to pay you. And I said, no, no, don't pay me. Cause as soon as you pay me, you're going to ask me to come and chaperone some prom or homecoming dance. And I'll have to be watch, yeah, and separate kids from not dancing properly or whatever. You know, I didn't want anything to do with that. So you taught that class for how many years? So five, 15, 15 years, 15 years. Wow. 15 years every morning. Yes. That's and amazing. that it created great conversation for this is the, the interesting thing about it. It created great conversations because I was so fired up when I came and saw my first patient at nine o'clock. I, um, they all asked, you know, what did you do at class this morning? You know, and of course we talked about it and they said, oh, that's really great. That's great. And now that the book is out, every patient comes in and says, where's Dr. McKinley's book? I want his book. I want his book. And I thought, I don't want to be selling a book to my patients. You know, I have this saying about not selling something directly to the patient. It doesn't matter. They, they want my book and they want me to sign it. And it's really kind of a fun thing to uh, experience with them. So this became a well-known thing that you taught oh, yeah. in high school. Everybody sounds like everybody knew that. Yeah, my staff talked about it openly. Uh, in fact, everyone on my staff has been a mentor in the program. So they came Friday mornings and mentored a student. And that was, a, that was really significant for them because really when you mentor the material, you really learn it yourself. And I found my staff really grew uh, a lot during those years of, of uh, working with the young kids. And you know what? Many of them kept the relationships years after. They're still communicating with them. Oh, I'm going to lunch with my student from four years ago. I'm you know, meeting them for this, I'm meeting them for that. Mm -hmm. So they developed some great friendships. And it was, it was really wonderful. So it sounds like you started teaching this to your team first. Sounds like you were doing this with your oh, team yeah. long before you ever came up with the high Yeah, about five years. In fact, I, I taught it to my family, my kids. Every dinner we had, um, we looked at character words. We processed them. Each one of my kids took a word and they processed through it. And it was really great from that standpoint. And uh, my kids... And then one of my staff members, one of my hygienists, Kathy, said, you know, I've really seen a change in you. And I've seen a change in your family. What's going on? And I said, well, Kathy, why don't you come over for dinner one night? She came over for dinner, sat through the experience, and she was blown away with what she saw these, these teenage boys and 
even elementary school boys put together and critically think through. And then she, um, she said, we need to do this at the dental office. Right. Okay. So she was the one that came up with that idea. I said, okay, let's start doing it. So we, we, we so that's, that's what we did. So that's and, uh, uh, that's I, I know you're familiar with the, the research originally that was done at Columbia University, where they found that young people who have dinner with the family five nights a week or more have a, you know, it's like a 40% better chance of getting A's and B's, a 60% chance of never smoking, a 65% better chance of never smoking pot, which today is a significant statistic. Yeah. But just that, but, but you've added this whole piece of having a meaningful conversation around the dinner table, which translated to the dental right. office, which translated to the high school and now translated right. to the world. Yes. This started around the dinner there it table. Is. This, <laughs> this was dinner table conversation. It Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So give it, I mean, this is all obviously all about, uh, about character, but give us just a, a quick overview of kind of the nature of, I mean, the course, the team meeting, the, the dinner table conversation, where, give us a quick overview of what is this really focused on? Well, what I really focused on was, you know, I, I started to teach it initially by telling people what they needed to do, what they should do, what was it to be a person of great character. And what I realized is no one wanted to be shut on anymore. You don't, you know, kids didn't want to be shut on. They've been shut on all their whole life. So I wasn't going to shut on them. And I, I, found, a, I found I needed to find another way to do it. And so I started to go to the core beliefs that they had as individuals. And what I found is it's the beliefs, values, and principles built into a person's life that determines how they respond in every situation. It's those core beliefs that they have. What I found is how many of those core beliefs that were determining how they responded to situations were not even true. They were based on a perception they had of themselves, something they were told when they were younger, a belief they had about being less than or being not being loved, whatever it was. And many of these kids came through some tough situations. I went through some tough situations in my life. It took me 30 or 40 years to work through some of those. And I just said to myself, I'm not going to allow these kids to figure this out 30 years from now. They're going to figure it out now. So we really went down to the core beliefs and I started to really have conversations about the core beliefs that they have. And really when you start doing that in a school, you know, the kids start saying, well, I believe in God and I believe in this and I believe in that, and, you know, and I'm, you know, of course, that's a Sunday school answer that a lot of teachers like to hear. It wasn't what I needed to hear. I needed to hear something more because I needed to hear what was in their core belief. And then it was when they were told they were ugly when they were a kid, if they still believe they're ugly, that's a problem. If they were told, I wish I never would have had you. I wish I never would have gave birth to you. I wish I never. Kids don't forget that. And these things are the elephant in the room that kids live with. And it affects the way they believe about what they believe about themselves. And it's critical that they have a, they come from a place of high esteem. And, and we do very little today to 
create a steam building experience for our kids. And uh, uh, so I made sure that I was creating a steam building experience for them in the classroom. And uh, it was, it was a challenge. It was a, that was a, that was a big chunk to chew on. And I really, really uh, felt over time that I got better and better at it. And uh, because I had no template for this when I started, except what I did with my own family and did with the team at the office. And uh, so it was, uh, it really was based on the core beliefs that they have that determine how they respond in every situation. The title of the book is clearly symbolic, Ride the Elephant. Will you give us the backstory on that? What does it really symbolize? Well, you know, I had different titles for the book initially, but when the book was done, I had some proofreaders read it. And they, you know, and we came up with some ideas and stuff. But Ride the Elephant rang true for me because, like some of them said, of all the people I know in my life, no one has taken adversities like you have experienced and turned them into something good, made a difference with them. And so you've ridden the elephant. You have taken those tough situations and made them uh, and, and, and found meaning and purpose to them. And I think we all need to take our pain and suffering and find p- purpose and meaning to it. And if we don't, we can lament those things the rest of our life and they can keep us stuck. And in my opinion, prevent us from, from experiencing true success. Not as society defines it. True success is not the car, your zip code, your great dental practice, an airplane, a place up north, a place in Florida. It's not all those things. True success is how you feel about yourself and how you create those feelings in other people. So it's, it's self-actually, uh, self-actualizing for yourself and creating those self-actualizing experiences for others. That to me is true success. So, so it's ride the elephant, not, not run from the elephant, not face your elephants. Not, in other words, the message is take what you get dealt and make something good out of it. Absolutely. You use a lot of, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the book is you use some simple, what I call word pictures, simple concepts to illustrate what otherwise might be a little more complicated. So you've got a color scheme in the book uh, about red and blue. Can you explain the the backstory on red and blue, what they mean? Well, soon as you, first of all, the red and blue is a continuum. There's a red side of the continuum that's on the left. The right side of the continuum is blue. We could call that the left side. We'd call it the right side. We could call this the good side. The bad side, we'd call this the good side. We, I mean, we can label each side of the continuum anything you want. However, when we started labeling the, the ends of the continuum, people found themselves being judging themselves in those situations. And it became a something to judge somebody about. So when I talk about redness and blueness in the book, it was, a, it was a way to label one side of the dichotomy over the other side of the dichotomy. The, the, the red side being the side of the dichotomy that keeps us stuck, holds us in bondage, and keeps us from experiencing those things that we talked about uh, earlier. 
And the blue side are those beliefs, values, and principles that can create a more fulfilling experience for us in our life and really more uh, fulfilling relationships. So you can take anything and it has a red side to it and a blue side to it. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Now you, you also expanded my vocabulary, uh, which is I had never heard of uh, amphora. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's correct. All right. Tell us about that because it is a great word picture. It's a great word. Amphora is really a vessel in, in, in Greek times and Roman times that had a handle on each side and the vessel had a, came to a point and it was to carry water and grain and, and actually money and things like that. So it was a container, it was like a purse, but it was a, made out of pottery and it was sat two or three feet tall. So uh, that's called an amphora. Now that's the root word for the word metaphor. Now, a lot of people don't make that connection. So metaphor is a container of experiences. So the application of the word amphora is anytime you use a word, everyone has a different amphora for it. So in other words, if you use the word love, Steve, you might immediately, I say, Steve, what does the word love mean to you? You might say, you might immediately go to your mother. Well, that was, when I think of love, I think of my mother, my, my mother, the motherly love I had. Another thing, you, another person might immediately go to their cat. Another person might immediately go to skiing because they love to ski. Uh, so everyone has a different amphora for that. So we have a tendency when people use words to put, fill up their amphora. There you just use the word. We fill it up what we would define that word to mean. What, what it is that we would, our experiences, and instead of asking questions about, tell me about your amphora, tell me about what you mean by using the word love, tell me what you mean by saying hate or anxious, fear, what are you fearful of? So when you start getting clarity from people on what their amphora for a word is, uh, you, true understanding uh, takes place. So it was a way to break the, and I also, what I found with young people, you got to give them a word that they don't have a preconceived notion of. Oh, interesting. That, that was key. And, uh, and so you'll see there's a number of words in the book that you didn't have a preconceived notion of. So now your, your flapper's open. Now you're willing to hear it. And you're not judging it, or except if you don't like the word amphora. But however, you don't, for most people, they never heard of it. So there's a number of words I use and a number of concepts I use in the book that is uh, really causes a person to critically think in a way that they never did before. So you are a big, one of the things you and I have in common, and we got a lot of things in common. One is the value that you place on words. In fact, you dedicate an entire chapter to that concept. Why? Why do words matter? Because we, words matter and we need to pay attention to the word we hear. And whenever I hear somebody express something with words, I try not to go to presumption. We have a tendency to presume when we know what they're talking about. That's the biggest mistake you can make in a relationship. Uh, I always go to a question. Tell me more about that. 
what do you mean by that? You know, and I'm not invasive by saying, you know, tell me what that word means. I'm more saying, well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And then who, what you find is the person then opens up and, and then can explain it to you and say, oh, now I understand. And so the words matter, not only matter to the person you're having a conversation, but they matter to you. One of the things we do with words matter is we have a tendency to use prefaces that kind of signal our, our beliefs. Uh, so in other words, a preface that we commonly use today is we hear a lot today is I'll try to do that. Okay. I'll try. You know, someone will say, I'll try to do it. Well, I'll try is, is, is not a commitment that is you're saying I'll try. And then they say, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean? Is that you're going to try? So some, and they say it out of habit and maybe they are committed to doing it. However, they're just using a lazy lexicon to express themselves. So uh, I, I really try to focus in on, on why, why these words, why words are important. And, um, and I, prefaces is a big part of the book from the standpoint of catching yourself. And I, saw, I call it catching yourself in your, in, the mischief, in your mischief when you use prefaces that are lazy prefaces instead of precepts that are convicted and come from your core beliefs that determine how you respond in every situation. Can you give us a, an example of either something you wrote in the book or maybe another of, <clears throat> you know, a word, a situation, a circumstance where you, we all have a choice of how we ride the elephant, right? So and you, you get, I mean, the book is filled with all kinds of examples of this, but maybe you can kind of characterize for us a little bit. What walk us through one of those things and the contrast between how we handle things and what you try and encourage in the book. Well, an example of that would be, uh, I was in a class one time in a classroom and what a great laboratory for learning for me in right. the classroom with kids. Uh, the word came, the kid said, uh, you, you know, we we're talking about something that their parents wouldn't let them do and stuff like that. And, you know, and so one of the kids says, well, we're very, I'm very sensitive. And I said, okay. I said, all right. And she said, I'm sensitive. Well, you know, I get my feelings hurt easily. I said, okay, that's interesting. And so we started talking about it and the kids and other kids piped in. Yeah. You know, we're like snowflakes, you know, when something goes bad, we just melt, you know? And uh, so they talked about how sensitive they were. And I said, you know, that's interesting. You know, uh, let's pull out a dictionary and look up the word sensitive. Well, lo and behold, the word sensitive has nothing to do with what they're describing. The word sensitive, Webster defines it as caring about other people, putting yourself in other people's shoes. Make, okay, so you're, you're, you're compassionate, you're empathetic, that's being sensitive. So as a character word, sensitive means other-centered, caring. And they're using it in a totally different way. So I said, there's nowhere in this dictionary where it says anything about self-absorption sensitivity, you know, or basically, you know, you get your feelings hurt. You know, there's nothing, nothing there. And they said, wow, the kids were blown away by that. 
I said, and let's go find a a word in the dictionary that applies. And uh, we spent about three or four days and they're searching through dictionaries and they couldn't find a word that applied. So I said, well, maybe it's time we make up a word. And I said, and I said, okay, well, can we do that? I said, well, I don't know, Twitter. I never heard of Twitter before and I never heard of Skype before. I never heard of some of these other words that we're hearing today. So I would say, yes, you have the prerogative to create a word. And so we thought about it, we thought about it. We came up the word with sensophobic. Sensophobic is now a new word in the lexicon of my students and in my vocabulary because sensophobic is that being hurt, having your hurt feelings hurt easily. And that's drastically different, dramatically different from the word sensitive, which is caring for another. Sensitive is a very positive character quality if you, are, if you use Webster's definition, it's not a character quality if you use, if you use it, the student's definition. So we created a new word, and, uh, but, and that was just an example of, of getting the kids to recognize how word, words matter. Do you, um, do you still do this education with your team? Yes. How yes, often? I have. In fact, uh, Donna, one of my uh, hygienists, just finished reading Ride the Elephant. She just finished the book. And um, uh, she said, Dr. McKinley, we have got to go back and talk about this as a team. She started to see that we have lost uh, some traction in the area of, uh, and felt we needed to revisit that conversation. So is that a once a month conversation had what's the format you use in your practice well we have uh we generally just get together at lunch and start having a conversation generally uh, uh in the past we i brought up words or, or words that we a character word and we talk about it and ask uh, how well are we applying this in our, our practice and uh so we just have that conversation and so we move forward from that standpoint and this this particular word was the word gratefulness and gratefulness to me is a really uh is a key word because we oftentimes say oh yeah i'm grateful for my patients and i'm grateful for um my job and i'm grateful for dentistry and i'm grateful for my wife and i'm grateful for my family and that's great however what are we doing intentionally on purpose to express that gratitude? And that's where we, we fall f- short. It's like, it's like someone saying, you know, uh, you know, you never tell me I love you. And you say, well, you know, I love you. Well, you know, I love you is not the same as he's telling I love you. And it's so gratefulness is something that we need to intentionally do on purpose. So, we then start focusing on it, and the patients walk in the door, and and Mary, Mrs. Smith, who's one who is everyone rolls used to roll their eyes uh, when they came in because of any number of reasons, and uh, I just refused to let that happen. I said there will be no eye rolling, there'll be no back talk, there'll be no gossiping. We're going to make, we're going to be grateful for Mrs. Smith coming in here today, in spite of her idiosyncrasies, and. Uh, and we say things nice to her. We say make affirming comments. And I think it's important that we raise the esteem uh, of an individual. If you can raise the esteem of an individual, you are, you are really 
taking the next step forward in your personal relationships. And raising esteem is raising the level of respect they have for themselves. And that's more than just saying, giving them praise or saying, I'm proud of you. It's giving them a specific quality that you see in them. Uh, you know, I, you know, an example would be, you know, Mrs. Jones, you know, I, one of the things I really appreciate you about you as a patient is you're always so grateful for the times we spend together. You always say something wonderful about being here. And I said, it's just, it's really great that you, uh, we just love having you come and we're so grateful for, for you being in the practice because of the gratitude she expresses in return. And when we tell patients how grateful we are for them, guess what happens? They start telling us how grateful they are for us. Yes. And it spreads through the whole office. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and Donna said, we've kind of lost that a little bit here. We need to get back on that, and put, put, put purpose and intention on that. And she's right, we do. So this, this, even though we write the book and we know what's in the book, we still can fall short and move to the red side and we want to continue to move to the purple side. I, whether this was intentional or unintentional, Ray, when you first started down this path, you know, we all know that, you know, you build great people and great people build great businesses. And uh, I know that probably wasn't the end goal in mind, but, you know, you, you were focused on the people and, you know, started at home and then at the office and then at school. Uh, you built a great family, a great practice, a great community just by focusing on character, which is man, just such an amazing example. And um such great concepts that everybody needs, um, especially especially in today's world. So uh, tell us where we can get Ride the Elephant. Well, Ride the Elephant, you can get it on my website at raymckinley.com. Pretty straightforward. Uh, spell your name so everybody knows exactly how to spell yeah. it. It's Ray, R-A-Y, M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y dot com and uh if you're like your amazon accounts uh amazon has it as well you can get it there as well but either place uh or you can stop in the office and we always have a copy here for you so if you just happen to be passing through shelby township michigan <laughs> we would love to have you say it stop and say you can hi. pick up an autographed copy from dr ray so here would be a recommendation um for all those listening is this, having read uh, Ride the Elephant, this is a perfect candidate for, you know, a book of the month, a book of the year, a book of the quarter, a, a book for the rest of your life. I mean, there's, this is like a textbook. I consider it to be a textbook of things, and you've already highlighted this, Ray, that need to be revisited on a regular basis. Yes. This is not a one and done. Yeah, I read, I read Dr. Ray's book. This is one that everybody ought to have in hand and go back and visit these principles on a regular basis. So it's a great team building book as well as uh, uh, everybody at home have a copy of it. Uh, just it builds great people. And as we've talked about, that's what builds great practices. It really is a conversation starter. I mean, like I've never seen anything. Uh, and this is the comment I'm hearing from people is they can't help but have a conversation about what's this book is in this book with 
their spouse, with a, a child they're having a tough time reaching. Uh, I've always had that in the back of my mind. How can I write a book that can reach these young people? Because one of the most difficult things I experienced in my practice was the patient coming in, and every dentist on this call has this, can relate to this. They're 60 years old, and they're saying, you know, you're getting close to your retirement. What do you plan to do with your retirement? They've saved their money all these years. And they look down in a very saddened face and, and, and obviously saying, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. Well, you know, I, I would, but unfortunately, my 40-year-old son is a, a drug addict and he's had to move back into the house. He's lost everything. So every all our resources that we had planned to use for our retirement have gone now gone uh, to supporting him and his children. And I'm thinking, well, that's great that you're doing that. It's wonderful that you're doing that. However, how sad is that? So I, you know, and I hear from parents who are struggling with their 20 year olds and their 28 year olds that don't want to move out of the house or they're, they're not getting on, on with their life, whatever that might be. This book is a conversation starter, and it really addresses the elephant in the room. And, it, and it, there's processes in here which will expose that, whether you want it to be exposed or not. It's going to create a conversation. And I think that's the power of the book. Uh, almost the unintended consequence of writing this book. Uh, I'm really surprised by how many people have shared that with me. So uh, that's exciting. This exciting thing for me, Steve, is to open up those conversations where there's pain and suffering between relationships. So Dr. Ray McKinley, uh, again, the book is entitled Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success. And uh, copies available at Ray McKinley. McKinley, M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y.com, um, as well as Amazon. Ray, thank you not only for your time today, uh, but more importantly, a lifetime of preparation and teaching and just an amazing example, and now passing it on for other people to benefit uh, like you have, like your family has, like your team has in your entire community. This is a gift, a great gift. So thank you for your You're welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Our thanks once again to Dr. Ray McKinley, not only for his interview today, but also for a lifetime's work of, of compiling some great wisdom that everyone can use to improve personally as well as to improve the culture of success in your practice. I'd like to give you a few reminders as well as some application ideas of how you can use the work that he's put together to improve your own culture of success. First, this reminder, something that we all know, is great cultures are created by great people. That comes in two forms. One, attracting the right kind of people, and the right kind of people are attracted to the right kind of culture, and number two is giving people the opportunity to grow within your culture, having a process of continual improvement where everyone is learning and growing every day. And this is one tool you can use to do that. So with that in mind, uh, here's a couple of suggestions that you can use to grow your own culture of success. 
All of these are couched in a reminder about two of the eight Crown Council qualified member requirements. Let me review those with you real quick. One is to have a regular system of team meetings that you hold on a regular basis. Everything from well-executed morning meetings to a weekly meeting to monthly and quarterly meetings. You can incorporate what Dr. Ray has suggested here in your team meeting process. I'll give you some suggestions about that. And then number two is the qualified member requirement of your 360 degree team evaluations. Uh, if you have not done that to date, you can go to crowncouncil.org in the quick links section. And there is an icon that says 360 team evaluations. You can click on that and get started on that process that gives your team members the opportunity to evaluate each other in key areas of personal interaction and the values areas that you have identified that are most important to your practice. So with those two things in mind, let me give you some specifics on how to incorporate those. So number one would be to get a copy of Ride the Elephant, The Journey to Success for every member of your team. You can go to raymckinley.com. Uh, McKinley is spelled M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y. So raymckinley.com. You can order a copy of the book for every member of your team so that they can read it. Then consider assigning a different team member each week for your weekly uh, team meeting to do a short summary of an assigned chapter. It doesn't need to take a lot of time, maybe two to three minutes to do a quick summary and then a few minutes for discussion about how those principles apply at home as well as at the office. With this reminder that whoever teaches is the one who learns the most. So giving your team members the opportunity to teach these principles will help them learn them even more. Number three is consider integrating some of these characteristics that Dr. Ray talks about in the book in your 360 degree team evaluation. Uh, so you can customize that evaluation. Uh, you can choose some of the principles, describe them, add them to your 360, give your team uh, a heads up that, uh, so that they know that that's going to be included in the 360 so they have a, an opportunity to up their game and their performance uh, so that when that evaluation time comes, that'll be a part of that whole experience. Uh, so again, that's part of the required uh, Crown Council qualified member requirements, and it's a way that you can improve that and enhance it. Uh, number four is the idea of revisiting your office culture guide. Uh, we recommend that every Crown Council office develop their own written culture guide. Uh, if by chance you haven't gotten to that step yet, you can go to crowncouncil.org, go to the quick link section, and go to the culture works icon and culture works session number one walks you through the steps of creating your office culture guide and you can do that if you've already created it go ahead and revisit it you might want to add a couple of things to that culture guide based on what dr ray talks about here and then our recommendation is that you highlight a culture guide area each morning in your morning meeting as a reminder and at a minimum each week in your weekly meeting. You choose, but you keep that culture guide front and center, the values and the character traits that are most important to you in the team members that work in your practice. So those are a couple of suggestions uh, for, to be specific, how you can integrate and use uh, the great work that Dr. Ray has put together in your own practice 
to enhance and continually improve your culture of success.